This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey guys, this is Toby Mathis, and you're listening to Tax Tuesday, joined today by Elliot Thomas, manager of the tax advisors here at Anderson. And we're going to have another fun Tax Tuesday. We always like doing the Tax Tuesdays. These are supposed to be fun, by the way. Some of you guys eat a little. Mm. <laughs> Right. Hey, so uh, yes, live questions via the Q&A in Zoom. Like if you have a lengthy question, put it in the Q&A. If you just have a comment, by all means, put it in the chat. We have a whole bunch of folks that are on that have been uh, with us forever. They always say, hey, you can absolutely put where you're at in the world so we can kind of see that. What city and state? And don't say I'm intoxicated. That's not a state that we recognize. But there we go. Las Vegas, Nevada, right here with us. Claremont, Honolulu. Sacramento, California, San Diego, Reston, Virginia, New Jersey, Vancouver, Washington in the house, Washington, D.C., NOLA, New Orleans, that's my brothers in Slidell, Confusion, That's a, <laughs> I think that's uh, Elliott State, yeah. <laughs> Minneapolis, Rhode Island, uh, I'm in a state of confusion, that was a good, wasn't that? That was pretty yeah. quick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kapolei, there's Mark, always love having Mark on, Carmel, Rio Verde, Got some Arizona, Kansas. Hey, lost in Kansas. We love you guys. Anyway, yeah, these are supposed to be fun. I have to say the rule. You can ask any question you want. If you start harassing our staff to answer like three page long, somebody got mad at me because I started laughing because I can't even say that with a straight face. Love you guys, but no, they're not going to answer volumes. They're going to try their best. Hey, there's Snoqualmie, Washington. Love Snoqualmie, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Uh, I'm jealous. It's beautiful. Uh, love Rio Grande down there. Clearwater, Florida. San Juan is gorgeous too. You've been to San Juan? I have seen on TV. No. Uh, you absolutely should because it's like being in like old Europe. Great tax uh, breaks. Great tax breaks. <laughs> yeah, you can live there and pay very little in tax. All right. If you need a detailed response, like something that's very specific to you, please become a, a Platinum client and then ask your question via the Platinum portal. This is a free service. We do not uh, bill for our time here. We answer all your questions. We love to answer your questions, but if you start asking specific questions about your tax return and this, that, and the other, we're probably going to invite you to become a client. All right. And it's supposed to be fun. So if I do start to laugh, it's not because I'm making fun of anybody. It's because we're having fun and uh, it should be. This is really, uh, taxes always get angsty. We're not going to be angsty because they shouldn't be angsty. They're a pathway to diamonds and gold nuggets, and we're going to follow all the tax rules to get us there. All right. So let's talk about our questions today. We have a whole bunch. I have my screen over here because I'm in a different studio. So I'm selling a property that was willed to me in 2019. I've been renting this property out since receiving it. It will sell for a profit of over $360,000. Yes. Would I pay taxes on the full profit or the difference between value at the time the property was willed? Or do I pay taxes on the difference between the profit and 250000 Interesting. Single and property would be considered investment, not primary. Hmm. So we have, so we'll answer that one. What are some simple and easy things that could be done to reduce taxable income and reduce taxes paid on each of my paychecks? I'll answer that one. Good question. Options for tax write-off, reducing tax burden if I have rental real estate, but I am not a full-time real estate professional. Both my wife and I have W-2 jobs that we don't foresee leaving anytime soon to become real estate investors. So 
We'll get into that. That's actually a really great question. And it's really helpful, especially nowadays. We'll talk about cost segregation, bonus depreciation, real estate professional status, active participation, activities that aren't actual rental that you might think are rental that aren't. We'll get into all that. Augusta rule. We have to put our properties or we have put our properties in a Wyoming entity and the Texas series LLC in late December of 2022, but have not started using it yet. Can we use the Augusta rule in 2022 throughout the year for our business purposes, even though we've not completed setting up the business? Well, we're, we're not going to answer him yet. I just have to give Elliot the look. Elliot. I got the look. Yeah. When a rehab required property acquired for long-term, when a rehab required property acquired for long-term, I don't know what that means. What is that? Maybe it's just me. But uh, when a rehab required property acquired for long-term hold, when is the right time to do the cost segregation study, question mark, before the rehab or after? Okay, I can get to the bottom of that one. We'll, we'll dissect that. We'll restate it so it's a little bit easier to understand. All right, Anderson, we actually take these questions right out of, we got hundreds of questions. Elliot, grab these ones. Copy them straight. Yep, you just grab them and put them in here. So we, we, along with most of the typos. So every now and again, we take a profanity out or, you know, or sometimes it'll do a quick spell check, but that's about it. Anderson created my S-Corp entity in November of 2022. I've only had expenses for year-end 2022, but no income or property purchases yet. What am I required to file for my S-Corp regarding the expenses I've incurred? Great question. And this is so interesting because it's so different than if you had done that in your individual name. I created my two LLCs, both with real estate assets with rental income in 2022. So they created two LLCs. Also, I created a holding company that holds both the LLCs. That's perfect. Probably holding company in Wyoming, right? I have a W-2 job. When do I file the tax for the holding company? Is it one tax filing that combines all the LLCs and my W-2? Thanks. Good question. We'll break it out for you. Curious to hear an open discussion about when and how to utilize section 179 and or bonus depreciation for vehicles. What are the steps to take in order to withdraw money from a C-Corp account? Are there any tax consequences involved? Good questions. We will answer all of these. We have three more to go. How to save taxes as S-Corp and is it better to do a, I think it says STD deduction, <laughs> standard <laughs> deduction or itemize for tax? So apparently you get, if uh, depending on what you, but I'm in Vegas because right. we, we would get massive deductions throughout this place. So you get a standard deduction or itemized for tax. Can you please touch up upon what depreciation recapture is and how it impacts taxes? We'd love to. And uh, I do of the work, I do of the work from my home office. So I do work for, from my home office. How do I claim this? Oh boy, we love open-ended questions. And if you love open-ended questions, come on to my YouTube channel. You could absolutely pop on. It's free. You could subscribe. And we actually put our Tax Tuesday recordings, we break them into pieces and put them up on YouTube as well. Subscription is free. You can click that little bell and it'll tell you when a new video is posted. And my partner, Clint, has an awesome YouTube channel himself. He does more on asset protection. I spend much more time on tax and financial planning, but he's also fantastic. So join that. It's free. And you could just go to this link. Is this recording available somewhere that we can access it? Nate, yes, YouTube. Pop on there and you could absolutely and pop it. Somebody says, great segue. Hey, we love open-ended <laughs> questions. All right. Hey, I like doing the YouTube. It's free, but it gives me something to look at. And I can always get feedback and I like feedback. All right. 
I'm selling a property that was willed to me in 2019. So first off, somebody passed away. And in 2019, it sounds like they inherited it. I have been renting this property out ever since receiving it. So they got it and they've been renting it out to a third party. It will sell for a profit over $360,000. The question is based off of what, right? Is it 360 based off of it's, that's what it's going to sell for? Or my parents bought it or whoever bought it and willed it to me. That's what they paid. We're going to have to get into that. Would I pay taxes on the full profit or the difference between value at time property was willed? Or do I pay taxes on the difference between profit and 250000 Single in property would be considered investment, not primary. What do you say? Well, I think the last sentence kind of gives us a little more on track. Um, the $250,000, we are probably talking about the exclusion. And because this is for, for a primary residence, and because we mentioned it's going to be rented here or has been rented, I'm thinking it probably wasn't a primary residence. So it's probably just a rental. I'm just going with that assumption. We could look at other scenarios here. But just going with that, it's a rental property. You're going to take the price that they, uh, they're they going to get the basis that they received from their parents upon inheritance or whomever gave it to them. Mm-hmm. That's going to be their depreciable amount. Because we're renting it, we have to have depreciation probably over 27 and a half years. You take that depreciation over the years that you've taken, you subtract that from your original basis that you got on inheritance. That gives you what we call adjusted basis. And then you would subtract that from the sales price, which if that was 360 here, that difference would give you your taxable gain. You'll have a little bit of depreciation recapture. Mm -hmm. That's the deal for a straight rental. Yeah. So in English, because we we like to make it complicated sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. You you inherited it in 2019, assuming that it was, you just, it says you immediately started renting it out. So it's investment property. So it's not going to qualify for the the capital gain exclusion of living in a primary residence for two of the last five years. So first off, that's off the, there's no 250. There's no 500 because you're single, but there's no 250 either. What it is, is when I inherited that property, the, the one, when the person passed away, not when I received it, when the person passed away, their basis stepped up to the fair market value on that date. So if they died in 2019, you would want an appraisal or an idea of what the value of that property was on that date. And that would be your basis. When you sell it, it's just the difference between your purchase price and that basis with one other adjustment, which is depreciation that you could have taken. Even if you didn't take it, they make you recapture the depreciation. So that's what you're going to get. So if you sold this, you say profit over 360, let's say that they're selling it for 500,000. And when you received the property, it was worth 400000 but your parents or whoever it is that willed it to you had purchased it for like 200000 right? So we're not using the 200000 Throw that out. We're going to use the 400000 that you received it. That's what you received when, it, when, when they passed away. Uh, and then it got willed to you. So your basis is 400000 which means that the, the primary gain is that hundred grand minus some expenses. Let's see if somebody says, oh, that's not going to be relevant on this, but that's, that's what your gain is. You're going to have some recapture. You're going to have 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022, uh, four years of recapture, which isn't going to be a huge amount. Yeah. And that's what it is. I think, yeah, my bad. I I said there was no stepped up basis. I was completely wrong on that. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. You got it. So when somebody passes away, it's going to step up. That's a pretty common Easy, easy answer in tax. And what else do we have? You could 1031 this thing if you wanted to and avoid tax entirely by selling it and then just acquiring property at a 1031 exchange. And then you don't have to worry about tax at all. Yep. 
So, and you can 1031 exchange inherited property, avoid tax entirely. So that's probably the route I would go is I would say, Hey, you're going to sell this thing. You don't want to pay tax, uh, go over and, uh, 1031 it. All right. What are some simple and easy things that could be done to reduce taxable income and reduce taxes paid on each of my paychecks? Well, we were talking about this a little bit before. Uh, certainly, you can contribute to a retirement plan that would allow maybe some deferral of taxes. Also, you know, everyone talks about getting a refund. Well, note that the refund is just you getting back money you've already paid into the government. So from your withholdings on your W-2. So if you had a better idea of what your, your uh, expected liability for the whole year is, you can track that out and just have less withheld. So more money in your pocket. It's not really like you're getting less in taxes paid. It's just that you're getting to hold on more of your paycheck, each paycheck, because you're not waiting for a refund, you know, possibly 12 months later. Yeah. So there's that. But if I wanted to really reduce my taxes and I'm an employee, what am I going to do? Yeah. Contribute, uh, contributions to retirement plans, yeah. uh, HSAs, yep. uh, uh IRA and a, a work uh, plan like a, a 401k, if you you can uh, contribute to both those. Maybe if you have another material business that you contribute to that might give you some deductions depending mm-hmm. on what's going on. If there's other things on your return getting in. So they said simple and easy things mm. to reduce yeah, well, taxable income, right? Mm. Uh, IRA, HSA, yeah. 401k, those are pretty simple and easy. Take your standard deduction, be mindful. If you're a giver, maybe lump up your giving into every three years or something. And so you can use uh, your itemized deductions once in a while, depending on what your situation is. Uh, you know, and so you can give to charity, but but instead of spreading it out where you might not get any taxable benefit, just save it up and do it in chunks. You know, every five years or something like that, right? So you could do that, and that's about it. Like I don't, I can't really think of too many other things. Like the bit, easy ones. yeah, it's giving money away always helps, right? So uh, you could see that. Uh, you could do that. Uh, when he lived in the world, say, what if he lived in that willed house with his parents for the last two years? So they're going back to this first question. And they said, well, what if you lived in it? The, the, the rule is you lived in it two of the last five years. It's not the last two years, but two of the last five years. Your name would have to be on it. You'd have to actually have occupied it. So you'd, you'd meet the occupancy. It's doubtful that you would have met the uh, ownership requirement. But it's probably like, I guess it would be something that's worth digging into if they lived, but don't you love hypotheticals? So options for tax write-off, reducing tax burden if I have rental real estate, but I'm not a full-time real estate professional. Both my wife and I have W-2 jobs that we don't foresee leaving anytime soon to become real estate professionals. What do you think? Well, kind of along with what we said on the, the, the previous question, you'd want to hit the things like the HSAs, retirement accounts you know, kind of the easy stuff. If we're not getting into, you know, to where we'll have professional status for the real estate status, if I have rental real estate, but you have rental real estate, uh, then you want to look at if your AGI, adjusted gross income is a little bit lower, maybe under 100,000, you can take up to 25,000 of the passive losses. Uh, so you'd have that going for you. It could be if you had enough passive losses, maybe you have some other investment, maybe it doesn't have anything to do with real estate where, uh, you get some passive income and that will net against it, that passive loss that you ordinarily would not be able to take. So there's a few things you could still do and that would not require the real estate professional status. Yeah. So the the reason this is even relevant is because when you have rental real estate losses, it's considered passive. Passive losses only can be used against passive income. So there's two exceptions. The exceptions are 
if you're an active participant or if you're a real estate professional. So they just ruled out real estate professionals. So Elliot nailed it. If you're an active participant in real estate, you can write off up to 25,000, but you have a phase out between 100,000 and 150,000 AGI. So somebody just asked, is it possible to have rep status when working full-time W-2 employee? No, almost impossible. In fact, here's the deal. You'd have to spend more time as a real estate professional than you do on your W-2 job. And the courts have routinely rejected that, saying there's not enough time in the day for you to do both. It has to be more than 750 hours and more than 50% of your time. So they're saying they're not. So then we look at it and say, what else could we do? Well, let's look at the rental real estate and examine that. What if it's Airbnb? It might not be rental real estate. It might be that it's because if it's seven days or less average usage, it's ordinary loss and you could actually go through it and you could still use it. So you could actually use it to offset your W-2 income under those circumstances. So there's that. Uh, what else do we have? If it's real estate activity that perhaps is transitional housing, uh, renting to people that are below the median income or would qualify for Section 8, then that activity actually could be considered nonprofit and you could actually change the structure of your rental. You could actually get a huge tax deduction and then never pay tax on that. So there's things you could actually do as we dig into it. But I don't know enough here. If this is just straight out, single family residences, it's just regular old rentals and it's maybe it's more higher end property, then you're not gonna get to use those passive losses right now. But good luck or good news, you don't lose them. They carry forward until you get rid of the property or as Elliot also said, or you have other passive income. So it means, hey, I need to go out and make more money passively. And it's not just rental real estate. Passive income can come from businesses in which you do not materially participate. So I could, Elliot and I could have a pizza company and uh-huh. we sit there and, uh, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm the, I'm the silent owner and he, he runs everything. That's passive income to me, active income to him. And then I can, I, I, I can do it. I could see somebody in the chat saying, Hey, I'm looking for an answer for something from a few weeks ago. Just grab the chat logs guys, or better yet, grab the Q and a, and, uh, and Carmel, if you would send it back in, we'll make sure we get you an answer. Uh, they can knock that out today while you're here because we want to make sure that you get answers to your questions. We don't want you sitting here confused. All right. Uh, anything else on that one? Mm-hmm. Augusta rule. What is it, first off? Augusta rule, that's just what we call 280A most often. That's the ability to rent out your home, uh, what dwelling is the proper term, for no more than 14 days a calendar year and the income you receive, you don't have to pay tax on. Yep. So you need an accountable plan. You need a corporation, either C-Corp, S-Corp, LLC taxed as a C-Corp, LLC taxed as an S-Corp, or a 501c3. All of those work and they can absolutely get you what's called 2DA, where you rent your house to the organization to have its meeting and it pays you as long as it's 14 days or less, you don't have to recognize the income. You don't report it on your return and the business takes it as an expense. Now it actually has to be paid and the meeting actually has to occur. So according to this, Hey, I the business wasn't in existence. You could not grab those meetings. So you, in order to do this, you have to have the business set up and it has to adopt an accountable plan with its employees. So unfortunately, no, you're not going to be able to use it for 2022, but you can use it going forward. It's something else just to have fun with. Somebody asked a question going back here. Somebody said, uh, if I have a W-2 job, but my wife puts in the time to be considered a real estate professional and we file a joint return 
and we're married, does that unlock the loss to make it from passive to ordinary loss? And the answer is absolutely could. She'd get through the first prong if they qualify. And then you just still have to do material participation. So anyway, so I just couldn't resist. Oh, shoot. There's Clint. Uh, Clint and I, about every other week, we teach the tax and asset protection workshop. Uh, They're always fun. They're on Saturdays. And uh, if you want to learn about land trust, LLCs, corporations, S-corporations, dealer status, bonus depreciation, cost segregation, you want to dive in a little bit deeper, even learn about living trusts and legacy planning, uh, it's absolutely free. Feel free to join. We do it all day. We go from nine till four o'clock is what we go, Pacific Standard Time. And uh, they're kicking the pants. So I would strongly encourage you. Clint does a great job on something that I call security through obscurity, which is getting your name off of your assets so nobody can find them or nobody can tie uh, you to the asset. And what that does is it takes the uh, bullseye that's sometimes printed on your back when you have too much stuff. If everybody knows you're rich, you got a bullseye on you. You got to take that bullseye and put it someplace else, right? So we're just going to put it anywhere else, but on my back. I just don't want to get sued because I'm rich. Also, let me just stop here for a second, because in that Q&A, we have Ander, Patty, Ian, Dana, Matthew, Jared, Pyle, Tanya, Troy, and Dutch, a multitude of CPAs, by the way, in our Q&A. So if you ask questions in Q&A, you're going to get really, really smart people answering that question. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say public thank you to Ian and DePaio for years. Like, I just, I don't even know how long it is because we've been doing these for so many years, always coming on and answering questions. This is their last Tax Tuesday, but they've absolutely been rocking it. And a lot of folks, every now and again, I get somebody gets a little snippety with me that gets mad because their question isn't answered right away. And I'm like, we are answering hundreds of questions absolutely free on a live event. Give them a little bit of slack because we love them and they're doing their very, very best. And some of your questions are like really, really, (laughs) (laughs) they get a little complicated sometimes. So, you know, just cut them a little bit of slack. They're doing a great job. And I don't know of any place else that you can come and get a CPA to answer your questions for free. Anyway, so it's so much fun. All right, fun stuff. Somebody says they answered, they left a question in the land trust on YouTube. If somebody could go grab that for me, I'll absolutely respond. They usually grab all those questions and throw them. When a rehab required property acquired for long-term hold, that's the one question. That's the one sentence that's going to like, I I don't understand what it means. When is the right time to do a cost segregation study? I do understand before the rehab or after the property, you know, after the rehab. So I think what they're saying is, hey, we acquired a long-term hold and we're going to rehab it. When should we do the cost seg study? What do you think? First of all, you can do it either before, you know, once you have you purchase a property or after the rehab, you could do it either way. The thing that's going to happen if you wait till after, I'm sorry, before the rehab, then when you do do the rehab, you're going to have to make sure that you break out your costs into the relevant five, 10, 15 year type properties or even 20, excuse me, uh, categories, classes for depreciation or 27 and a half or something like that. You know, but really you could do it either way. Yeah. So, Here's an easy way to visualize it because some people don't know what cost segregation is, and you're probably hearing that term for the first time. So pretend you're watching TV and you see one of these flipping shows on TV, and it's the crappy house 
that, you know, is, is scary looking. They're going to tear a lot of it down. Somebody buys it and they're going to make it into something beautiful and they're done. And it's the day that they do the open house. You know, they always say like, it's two weeks to the open house, you know, oh, it's one day before the open house and they're bringing in all the little plants and the shrubs and they're putting in some pitch and they're putting a fence around it and they're doing the backyard and they're putting in a deck and all that stuff. So just imagine you're walking up for that open house. You're seeing a single family residence. And most people look at that and go 27 and a half year property. That's what I see. I see something I can write off over 27 and a half years. You cannot write off land. You can only write off that improvement. So you're looking at it going, the new roof, the new carpeting, everything, 27 and a half years. You walk in, you see, look at all these trees they put in, 27 and a half years. Look at that fence, 27 and a half years. Look, go in the backyard and that deck, 27 and a half years. That's what your accountant sees. And that's not the reality. The reality is somebody who does real estate for a living and who does this consistently is looking at it going, Ah, shrubs are 15 year, uh, trees are 15 year, uh, fencing 15 year. Hey, that driveway is 15 year property. It means I can write it off twice as fast. I go into the carpeting, five year property, cabinets. What are cabinets? Seven, five? I'm going seven. Seven, seven year property. I walk out back. Oh, look, there's a deck, 15 year property. Hey, they're out in the back. Hey, there's all this pitch and everything else, 15 year property. Because there's a useful life of every item. But if you don't, do what's called a cost seg study, the IRS will let you treat it all as 27 and a half years. And get this, that's impermissible. You're not supposed to do it. You're supposed to write items off over their useful life, but the IRS will allow you to write off that single family residence over 27 and a half years because you're hosing yourself. When you do a cost seg study, you're breaking it out into its pieces and you get to write it off much faster. And you could actually use something called bonus depreciation. It's 26 USC 168K to not hidden anywhere. It's magic, right? It's just, that's the code provision that says, hey, for anything that's 20 years or below, you can write it all off in one year if it's 100% bonus depreciation. In 2023, it's 80%. In 2022, it's 100%. So if you bought anything in 2022, you can write off all those pieces I just named and write them off in one year. It creates this massive loss on most of it. So let's go back to our question. They're saying, when should I do that cost seg study? Before or after? Ah, it depends, right? What I would probably do is say, it doesn't hurt you. So roof and siding, that would be, uh, that's all 27 and a half year windows, 27, or are they longer, or are they shorter? I think they would be shorter. I don't know off the top of my head. Anybody know out there, Ian, Dana, anybody? I'm what? thinking Windows 15. I have a list, but I always, yeah, somebody says it depends. I have no idea, right? <laughs> but it it does depend on whether or not you're going to get the cost sake study because it. I don't think it really matters. What I want to do is break the items up. But if you're going to do a massive rehab, I might wait till later. If you're just going to fix things, Windows is 27 years. Yeah, 27 and a half years. Microsoft, Microsoft Windows is two years. <laughs> That's horrible. Ian, we're going to miss you, man. Um, but that's about right. I would say six months on Microsoft Windows, or actually six minutes, because it's been killing me. I don't know about you, but right, my, right. it has been wearing me out. The numbers, I could not get Google Meet to work. I restarted. I a little bit of problem this morning, uh, this afternoon, getting logged in here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Bill Gates, for creating this. Like, Bill Gates and Ikea, like yeah. <laughs> the two people that create the most frustration 
on the face, like, like Ikea likes to sell puzzles and make it into a sofa, right? We call it fun. Yeah. Microsoft likes to fix it till it's broke. And even the carpet can be different between whether it's tacked down or glued down, having a different uh, life, life expectancy on the depreciation. So, Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you don't want it to be part of the structure. If it's mm-hmm. removable, then you can, uh, yeah. then you can write it off over five years. But the whole point is that, Hey, I can write these things off. And if, I am doing a rehab and it's very, and I'm just improving the property. Then I can see those items. It's easy. So I could do the cost seg study beforehand and then get the invoices and, and, and fix it. Or you just say, you know what, I'm going to wait till the rehab's over and then I'm going to do it. It's easier for your cost seg company because it's an engineer who's coming in and valuing everything. Here's all your five-year property. The five-year, seven and 15-year property should be about 30% of your improvement value. So if you buy a house, 500,000, the land is a hundred grand. You can use your assessment or you can use your appraisal to figure out the ratio, but you're trying to figure out what percentage of the total price is land. So let's say it's 20%. So you have a $500,000 house you bought. The depreciable basis is probably 400. 30% of 400 is about 120. That's probably about right. You're going to get $120,000 first year magic, big loss or depreciation. It's going to offset all the rents, and it's going to it's gonna do that for all of your properties, all of your rental properties. That's why people use it, because if you don't want to pay tax, that's an easy way to accelerate your depreciation and use it to write things off. And if you have too much loss, you just carry it forward. Somebody says, what about a property that has been straight line depreciated over 10 years already? Could you still make sense to, to cost seg after substantial improvements? Robert, absolutely. Because what it does is the year that you put it into service dictates the amount of the bonus depreciation. If it was 10 years ago, that would be 2012 or 2013. Probably 50%, probably 50% bonus depreciation, but it's 10 years already. So the five-year property is 100%, seven-year property is 100%. The 15-year property is two-thirds. Yeah, you could immediately write all that off. And you've been spreading it out over 27 and a half years. So Robert, it's worth a study. We have a company that we work with. We don't do the cost seg studies. We use cost seg authority. Eric Oliver comes on and he's on my YouTube channel, but they'll do a analysis for you absolutely free. So they'll get your address, they'll look at your taxes and say, this is what it would save you. So they could tell you like, if, again, I, I want to know how much does money does it put in my pocket right away? So is it going to save me deduction that is worth 6,000 bucks and it costs me 2,000, I'm not going to do it. If it's going to save me $30,000 and cost me 1,000, then I'm going to do it absolutely, right? So all that fun stuff. And we've seen some big ones, hundreds of thousands that get saved on these things. If Again, it all depends on how much real estate you have and what type it is. As manufactured housing can be 80%. If it's stick built, you're probably looking at uh, maybe 30 to sometimes as high as 40 warehouses are different than than storage, which are different than uh, apartments, which are different than single family, right? That's why you actually get the analysis done. And do not use software or some CPA. It actually you sh- it has to be uh, an engineer, the, the types of studies they look at. All right. Anderson created my S-Corp entity in November of 2022. So right at the end of the year. So they have two months that they're operating. I've only had expenses in the year of 2022, but no income or property purchases yet. What am I required to file for my S-Corp regarding the expenses I've incurred? Elliot. Well, you're going to have to file your tax return for that S-Corporation. It is what we call an informational return. In other words, your S-Corp doesn't pay any tax, but it does have a tax return 
called an 1120S is in SAM. And it is kind of an important one because the IRS really puts the hammer on if we're late on that one. So we don't want to be late. You can do an extension. It's due March 15th with extension out to uh, September 15th. But if we fail to do it timely, then it's approximately $200 per shareholder in this case per month, the, the late filing. So it, it's quite steep. But you do need to do that return in your situation here. Even if you have just losses, that's okay. And those losses typically would be ordinary and will help offset ordinary income on your return. Yeah. If you're an individual and you do this, they're not going to let you take any loss because they're going to say you're not in business yet. Because as an individual, they need to see your purchases. You set up a business. A lot of businesses are trader businesses. So somebody that sets this up, they have the startup costs, which is the cost of setting up the entity. They have anything that they've run any expenses that they paid out of the business. Maybe they don't have any, right? Like maybe it's just the setup fee. You would still track that, t- still take that loss. You want that loss. If you, you know, entity is going to be probably three grand filing fees and counting fees and the cost of setting it up, depending on if you used an attorney or if, if you, if you went, you went cheap, it might be a little bit less, but I wouldn't use those bylaws, but, but let's just say you set it up or if we created it, then you would still get that deduction for whatever the cost of setting it up. So if you biz, did the business essentials program, for example, right? You're less than three grand. You got a whole bunch of stuff included in that. I get a $3,000 loss right now. It's going to offset my other income. If I'm in the highest bracket, that's going to save me, you know, 12, 1300 bucks. I like that. And it doesn't matter. You're an individual. You're not writing anything off. You're just waiting. And eventually when you do start your business, you can grab it. Uh, potentially, if you incorporate it, you could grab it as a startup expense. And it gets, it's, it's kind of funky. How do we ask questions anonymously? Uh, the button on the Q&A is great. We, we respond confidentially. You could just remind them, please respond confidentially. You guys can't see the questions. We want it to be private so they don't see it. Or you become a client and then you answer it. Uh, we answer through a, a very secure portal, which is our platinum portal, which is uh, protected. All right. I created two LLCs, both with real estate assets, with rental income in 2022. I also created a holding company that owns both the LLCs, which is exactly what you should do. There's three layers. There's there's kind of the property. How do we get the property out of a name? Direct it to an LLC. That LLC has great inside liability protection. The property does something. It doesn't come get you. And then the third layer, the holding company prevents anything you do from going down and getting those properties. So there's three levels. There's anonymity. There's inside liability and there's outside liability. Sounds like you have all three layers, but what do I have to do from a tax standpoint? We recommend that the holding company becomes a partnership. Why do we do that? A couple of reasons. Number one, a partnership files its own return, just like the S Corp we talked about in the previous return. It's an informational return. It doesn't pay any taxes, but it will file the related uh, rental activity from all these LLCs that you just mentioned. It'll go on to the 1065 partnership return. And then it will, via K-1, uh, come over to your personal return. But it keeps it off your return. All, all people see on your return is just K-1. That's it. They don't know anything more about it. Also, it helps from a lending standpoint. Typically, lenders are able to, to lend more to you, being uh, that the, the, the property is in a partnership than if it had been in a direct disregarded LLC. Yep. Uh, the other thing is uh, when you do a 1065, you're keeping that activity off your page one of your of, of, of your schedule. A. I was reading this. Did you mention that at all? Mm-hmm. All right, good. <laughs> that was and, right. And the, did you go over uh, Freddie and Fanny? 
Uh, no, I didn't. All right. So Freddie and Fanny will use 75% of your income on page one of your schedule. They use 100% of the income off of page two of your schedule. So if you're building up a real estate portfolio and you want to get a loan and you have $100,000 of income on page one, they're going to move that down to 75000 If you have 100000 of income that goes through the, through the partnership, it's a full 100000 Plus, it's just easier from a compliance standpoint. Everybody gets stuck in underwriting when they have 20 properties sitting on their page one of their schedule. You just don't do it unless you like paying, unless you like paying higher interest rates. So you make sure that you're running it through a partnership because it takes it all and puts it on the partnership return. And that gets summarized on a K-1 that goes on page two of your schedule. And that's what we want. Makes your return go from this thick to that thick, and they use it more of the income. And the the old adage is, you know, do what the rich do. And if you want similar results, do what the wealthiest investors do. And I can tell you, they're not putting it on page one of their schedule. They're all using a partnership at the, at the top. And that's a big reason right there is it's so much simpler for them to get their personal loans. And then when they go to do a portfolio loan, if you don't have that return, or if you go to sell properties, and you're selling commercial properties, for example, and you don't have a separate return and they start looking at your return to figure out the taxes of those properties for the last three years, don't expect the underwriter to react positively. I've seen it really ruin deals over and over and over again. Get that separate return on your real estate activities. All right. Curious to hear an open discussion about when and how to utilize Section 179 and or bonus depreciation for vehicles. All right. So I'm actually going to jump back to last year and the last couple of years where we had what's called 100% bonus depreciation. That just means that for certain assets, instead of deducting them over 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you can deduct them all at once in the current year. We talked a little bit about that on the previous questions. But bonus depreciation was a really big factor the last couple of years because of our tax act and jobs cut program from 2017, 2018. And then the CARES Act brought it back a little bit, uh, uh, some aspects of it. But we've had this bonus depreciation 100% for a long time. So we've kind of ignored 179. And the reason why is bonus depreciation can create an overall loss, as Toby was talking about earlier. And, and we don't have a problem with that loss unless we're talking about passive income or passive losses. But if it's just a regular business, uh, that's it's ordinary loss, that ordinary loss will offset uh, against other income on your return. and with 179, though, you're limited. You can only take that as a deduction if you have net income. You can't use a 179 expensing to create a loss. And so you might be limited in how much you can deduct of your 179. You will get a deduct at all. It just may take a couple of years to get there. It just depends on your scenario. So for the longest time, the, our, 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 whoever asked this question, it's a great question. Uh, we haven't really dealt with 179, but now that's starting to change. It could be in your state, they don't have bonus depreciation and we might use 179. But again, you better be in a profit situation where you're making money. Yes. Not to interrupt you, but no. how much how much importance is how much you use it for business? Very important. You have to use it at least 50%. We're going to tell you use it 100%, but you have to have, that's just part of the rule, over 50% business use. Why the distinction? Why do we really harp on being 100% for business use? Because any personal use, is actually taxable income to you. So that's one distinction there. Yeah, and, and then the other thing is there's limitations, as Elliot's probably said, it was was on passenger vehicles. 
where you see the 179 come up is when somebody has a property or a vehicle that's 6,000 pounds gross vehicle weight or higher, it qualifies as equipment. You can write that off 100% if you're using it 100% for business. Now, here's the cool part. If I use it 100% this, this last year, like you bought it in 2022 and only use it for business, you can write the whole thing off. As long as you stay above that 50% business usage, you never have to worry about it. You drop below and you're going to have recaptured ordinary rates, the amount that you depreciate it. So it can be a little bit of a sticky wicket. So you got to be a little careful. The other thing is, why not just do mileage reimbursement? It's like 65 and a half cents a mile right now. And you can, it's your car. You can use non-commercial uh, insurance. You could just be your car that you use. If you let employees use it, that, that goes out the window. You got to have a commercial policy. But if it's just you, why go through and have a, added expense and aggravation? I, I've done the numbers. It's pretty darn close if you're using it. Like, let's say you're using it 30% for, for business. You might be doing 10,000 miles a year. That's 6,500 bucks, 6,550 that the company writes you a check for. You don't have to recognize it as income as a, as a reimbursement. If it's an accountable plan, I should say, if it's a, if it's an S or a C corp or a LLC taxes, an S or a C corp. Otherwise, if it's a rental property and even in a partnership, it could reimburse you mileage and things like that too. But uh, you don't have to recognize it. That's the big one is, Hey, it's easy money. I don't have to worry about what's the exact percentage. I don't have to worry about recapture, all these things. I'm just writing it off as I go. And to me for, you know, the difference is sometimes a few hundred bucks. I would rather have the peace of mind of not having to have that gun to my head and worried about the vehicle being used enough in business to qualify for 179 or 168K. I'd stay, especially with our clients, we have a lot in real estate who might be realtors themselves. I have friends here in the, the Vegas Valley. They drive all over. They can put 30,000, 40,000 easy a year on their vehicle for mileage. And that's a lot of reimbursement at 60 some cents a mile. That basically pays for the next car within two years. Yeah. And I think Troy just asked me to repeat something. If you have a car and it's worth, let's say you buy the, the Range Rover and it's over 6,000 gross vehicle weight, you paid 110,000 for it, but you use it 50% for business. You're not getting $110,000 deduction. You're getting $55,000 deduction. And then you have to make sure you don't fall below that amount forever, you know, because that's what you took. You took the bonus, wrote it all off in one year. Okay. You got to make sure that you don't fall below that 50% during its useful life. So you got five years. Otherwise you're looking at recapture, which is nasty. So, uh, yeah, I just, I know that there's people that do it and I'm always like, don't ever buy a car because your tax guy says you could write it off. It's a horrible <laughs> idea. You're still spending the money and you're getting very little bit back. If you have advertising on your vehicle, does it count as 100%? No, not at all. They don't even care. You can write off the wrap that you put on your car. That's, that's it. it. But the mileage never becomes business mileage. What are the steps to take in order to withdraw money from a C-Corp account? Are there any tax consequences involved? Well, it depends. <laughs> I knew it was coming. So the thing I really press on clients and and uh, when I'm talking to our fellow colleagues here, with a C-Corporation, the first thing I like to look at are the reimbursements. You got your corporate meeting, which really isn't a reimbursement. It's you being paid for renting out your house under 280A. Mm -hmm. 14 days, Augusta rule we talked about in the earlier question. You also have the accountable plan, which just means reimbursement for business expenses. That could be having an administrative office in your house, mileage like we just talked about, cell phone, internet, things like that. Those are all deductions to the business. Uh -huh. 
you don't have to pay tax. And just not to interrupt you, but let's say Elliot and I, like we, we go out and, 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 and we decide for the business. Somebody says, Hey, bring pizzas back. And I'm like, ah, oh, shoot, Elliot, I forgot my wallet. And Elliot puts out a hundred bucks and buys a bunch of pizzas. He comes back to the office and we write him a check for $100. Does he have to report that on his taxes? The answer is no. We just reimbursed him for an expense. That's all you're doing under all of those things. You have an accountable plan reimbursing you for the use of your home. We have an accountable plan for your home office. We have an accountable plan that is paying you with the accountable plan. We don't have to worry about it. If it's paying you for 2NEA, it's not even an accountable plan. It's just paying you for the use of your, your home and it's 14 days or less. So the tax code says don't report it and he still writes it off. But all I'm doing is like your cell phone. If Elliot has a business, he has an S corp and he wants to write off his cell phone. And let's say I work with him too. And he says, Hey, I'll write off your cell phone too. As long as I'm using it for his business, even if it's 10%, I write off a hundred percent. What about the data? hundred percent. There's a reason that these things exist. It's so that the business can't take advantage of its employees. The businesses usually get sued because the business says everybody has a cell phone. You have to use your cell phone whenever you go home. You know, on, when, when you're on your job, hey, we have you traveling and you're going to use your own stuff. And the courts say, no, 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 no. If you force them to use their cell phone, you need to reimburse for the business use of that cell phone. Can you get mileage reimbursement from the C-Corp? Yep, absolutely. The, and what is the mileage deduction for 2023? I think it's 65 and a half cents a mile. I think that's it. Where is the corp writing this off on the 1120? Other deductions. Yeah, other deductions. Or if it's a lease, if it's doing your home on the 280A, it's, it's probably a... Corporate meetings. Yep, corporate meetings or lease. All right. If you like this type of stuff, guys, I've already mentioned this before, but please go to our YouTube channels. I have one that's just focused on tax and that's where the tax Tuesdays live. And you can learn a lot about this. There's one, I'm looking at it right now. How to pay zero taxes on capital gains. Yes, it's legal. Yep. Here's a, here's a hint. Don't sell it. Leverage it. Buy, let things appreciate, leverage it like crazy. You learn everything from living trust. I'm just looking at what's on top. Had 1.6 million views on how to make your assets invisible. So, you know, yes. And Clint's really excellent at that too. So just make sure you're signing up for the YouTube channels because it's going to prompt, usually it's other people's questions. And I, we get it every week because yeah. we, we literally get hundreds of questions that and we was. grab 10 and I, or 10 or 15. <laughs> and half the time I'm looking at it going, that's a really good question. Hmm. You see us going kind of, it depends. And it's, that's why it, it's, it's just filling your brain with, with, with more good stuff. How to save taxes as an S-corp? And is there a, is it better to do than standard deduction or itemize for tax? I'm going <laughs> to ask you this because I don't understand this. Okay. Well, the S-corporation has a lot of advantages to it to save on taxes. Some of them we just talked about, in our again, in our two previous questions or so. It has an accountable plan, which means that your S-corporation, again, it's a, it files its own return. It's mm-hmm. only an informational return. It's going to come through to your personal return. But we take the deductions for the business on the S-Corp. That's going to be like administrative office. So you can get paid for having from your corporation for having an office in your house, tax-free to you, deduction to your S-Corporation. That would be your cell phone, internet as well, mileage from wherever you leave the office, the corporate meetings. And only you only have to pay yourself a reasonable wage. So if we had net profits of, let's say, $100,000, if you weren't an S-Corp, if you were a sole proprietor, 100% of that's going to be taxed 
not only at your tax bracket rate, but also hit with self-employment tax, 15.3%, a nasty amount addition there. Whereas you only have to do a reasonable uh, wage under the S corporation. So maybe only say 40,000 is paid as W-2 wage there, the other 60, not subject to that. All that means is that on, let's say it's $100,000. If you had net profit of $100,000 as a sole proprietor, you're going to pay 15%. It's actually 12.4% of old age disability and and, and survivors insurance plus uh, 2.9% Medicare. And you get a half deduction for half of it. So the numbers end up being you'd pay $14,401 or $4,010. 14,000, excuse me, $14,100. There we go. 14100 in self employment tax on 100 grand. If it was with an S Corp, you would pay about 60% less because you only have to pay yourself a little bit of salary that triggers the uh, old age disability and survivors of Medicare. The rest of it is not subject to that tax at all. That's why S corporations are so potent. The tax savings just on that, let's say you'd be paying 14,100 as a sole proprietor, you're probably paying closer to five if you are an S Corp. It's going to save you about $9,000. Plus, you get the added benefit of 280A. Plus, you get the added benefit of doing an administrative office in your home, which is compared to a home office deduction. Two very different things. One of them, I get to reimburse, I don't have depreciation recapture. The other one I have to reimburse on a separate form and the safe harbor is $5 per square foot. So I just did this. There was a there was one, it was $6,900 as an administrative office per year that they could reimburse themselves and you know pay and reimburse the, the expense. So they got $6,900, yay. The sole proprietor got $750. That's how big of a difference it is between those things, 150 square foot uh, room in a house that was about five, you know, that had five equally sized rooms, three bedroom, two others. And so you start looking at these things and the S corporation should give you tax savings of greater than 10% of your net income, which is driving up your profit margin or not 10% of your net. It's actually 10% of the gross on hundred thousand. We ran the numbers is about $11,000 savings, two companies side by side doing nothing differently except following the rules that are respective to a sole proprietor versus an S-corp. What's the downside of the S-corp? You got to file another tax return, but it's the same exact information that is on the Schedule C that's going to be attached to your 1040. So like, it's not actually, it's just a separate return, but it's not separate information. And far less chance of an audit. <laughs> yeah. And if somebody says, what about a recommended uh, reasonable salary? The courts almost universally apply a one-third. You always see it, but technically you could go look up a reasonable salary for somebody in that profession. So if you're, you know, if you're an attorney, they would say, Hey, what's the, what's the reasonable price you could pay? Like, it's going to be a range. You could pick the lowest of that range and pay yourself that amount. So you make $200,000 a year. The reasonable range might be 70. So you have $130,000 that is not subject to any self-employment tax. That's great. And that way, there's a little bit of a phase out on the old age disability survivors, but I don't want to make your heads pop. So the other one is what's better, a standard deduction or itemized for tax? It depends, right? Yep. What's standard deduction comprised of? Uh, Standard deduction is just a flat amount. It just depends on whether you're single or head of household or um, married, fine, and joint. Yeah, it was a... 
12,950. Oh, no. What is it? Uh, 12,950 for last year, uh, single. 25,900 married, filing joint last year. This year, 2023, it's going to be 27,700 married, filing joint. 13,850. Just think about that. 27,700 married, filing jointly. You get to write off your return. If you do the itemized, it's you add up up to $10,000 of state and local taxes. Any amount of for your medical that went over seven and a half percent of your AGI. So if your AGI was a hundred, anything that you spent over 7,500 that wasn't covered by insurance, so nothing. <laughs> your mortgage interest that you paid and your charitable donations. And if you got hit by a hurricane, you could add that one in there too, right? Uh, casualty losses. But you add up all those things and let's say it's 20,000, you would take the standard deduction because it's 20,700. Or for last year, it would be uh, 25,900. So you're always looking to say, what's in my best interest? I, you don't have to, you, you don't have to pick either, right? You could just say, I'm going to pay the tax, but you get the choice. And I would take the higher of those numbers. Makes it really simple. So what's better? It depends. Depends. Yep. Don't you love that? That's why uh, everybody, they go to law school so that they can make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year saying it depends over and over and over again. That's the, uh, <laughs> that's the rule. They just go in there and they- That's how you they, get your uh, diploma. <laughs> they have, repeat after me. It depends. It depends. It depends. You do that for three years and eventually it gets drilled in. Didn't do much more than that myself. <laughs> can you please touch upon what depreciation recapture is and how it impacts taxes? Oh, that's a wonderful question. It really, I hate to say it depends, but it depends. It does depend a little bit on which type of asset you have. But basically, when you have an asset that's being used in a trader business, we have to, we don't deduct the full cost of it immediately. We take a little bit over time. We call it depreciation. Then when you resell, you might have what's called depreciation recapture on that depreciation that you took over the years. Uh, it does kind of depend on what kind of asset it is, if it's tangible property versus uh, or, um, versus say real estate, what we call 1245 versus 1250 property. They might have different rates of depreciation recapture, but basically it's just the recapturing the depreciation you took over the years on your return. And it's capped at? 25% for yeah. 1250. It's your ordinary rate mm -hmm. capped at 25%. So it could be less. Yeah, it could be. If you can get your income, like if you, if you take a big, hey, I'm a real estate professional, I do a cost seg, I get this huge loss, I get down to zero, Guess what my recapture is? It's going to be really low. Or is it, it going to be calculated it, it off could, anything? Yeah, it could be really low if, if especially if some of that, if you had the asset long enough and you could uh, zero out some of the assets. You know. I have to share with you guys a, a really uh, sad story. I thought this was really interesting. I asked old Maud how she lost her husband. She told me her sad story. Well, we needed a blood transfusion, but his blood type was not on record. So the doctors asked me if I knew where he was as they urgently needed to know in order to save my Norman's life. Tragically, I've never known his blood type. So I only had time to sit with him and say goodbye. How horrible. They didn't know their blood type. But he was so supportive of me. In fact, he was so positive that even as he was fading away, he kept whispering to me, be positive, be positive. <laughs> I just think that even when somebody's on their deathbed. Gotta have a sense of humor. Sorry. If you guys don't get that, then I feel <laughs> I like that. All right. Had to break up the tax. Somebody sent that to me and I couldn't help it. I like it. Nobody likes that. <laughs> Patty says, I get it. She's the only one at this point. And everybody else is like, ah, oh, crap. We just lost 6,000 people. <laughs> all right. Say, all right. We got a few people that get it. All right. Somebody says, 
Yeah, it was kind of funny. Uh, wife's a nurse. She got it. <laughs> you just be positive. Be positive. Be positive. I, I am Norman. I am being positive. It's be positive. <laughs> um, I do the work from my home office. How can I claim this? It's again, there you can deduct the cost of the, the office, depending on whether it's a sole proprietorship or maybe an S corp or a C corp. We have the administrative office. So we'll talk about the little differences there, but uh, if you have a sole proprietorship, you can be uh, you can take a deduction for basically the percentage square use of that house is an easy way to describe it. But if you if you're not a sole proprietor, you can't do it. No. What if I work for my home office and you're working for an employer? Mm. Can I write off anything? No, out of luck. Yeah, because yeah. because uh, because 2017 <laughs> they took away unreimbursed uh, business expenses. Yeah. So everybody says like the Trump and them. Oh, they give all these tax breaks. No, they took away entertainment. And they took away unreimbursed, but like they made it really, really hard to write certain things off. Yeah. Somebody says, I am a negative person. <laughs> a negative. <laughs> See, somebody gets it. Yeah, that's that's a good one. <laughs> All right. So if, if, but if you do work for an employer, you ask, you could ask them to reimburse you. You say, hey, let, let's say, usually it's if you, if you have a choice. So if I could work in the office, but I want to work from home. You're not going to get anybody to reimburse you. But if somebody says you have to work from home, then it might be worth having a conversation about, hey, what will you reimburse? And there might be a reimbursement available for it. Uh, how do I claim this? And uh, if you have a, here's the difference. If I'm a sole proprietor, I write it off as a home office deduction. The safe harbor is $5 a square foot. So if you have a 10 by 15 foot room, it's 750 bucks a year. But if you are a corporate, some people are just getting it. But uh, if you have a corporation, it can reimburse you the percentage use of your home using any reasonable methodology for calculating that. It was, oh, somebody says, I read that joke once, but it had a type O, <laughs> had a type O. <laughs> I love you guys. Every now and again, you guys just come out and kill me. And I'm just dying right now. I can't even look at you guys' comments. <laughs> Yeah, I just love it. All right. So uh, if you could get reimbursed, then it could be like 20% of your house. And by the way, that includes mortgage interest, property taxes. If you have somebody coming in and cleaning your house, uh, your utilities. Like, so if you're spending $25,000 a year to run your house, 20% would be $5,000. You reimburse that. Where do you report it on your 1040? Uh, well, if, it, if it's a sole proprietorship, it's just a deduction there. If it's a reimbursement, you don't put it on at all. It's nowhere on your return. That's why we love that. If and you guys and you can throw depreciation there too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You get a piece of depreciation without yes. any depreciation recapture. Yeah, which is different when you're when you're sole proprietor. Do you have re recapture on that too? Yeah. Yep. Oh boy, this is fun. <laughs> uh, so hopefully you guys had a little best bit hour fun. they've had all day. <laughs> the the best show I've stopped watching is Tax Tuesday right at the end. All right. <laughs> Email us your question, Tax Tuesday at Anderson Advisors. That's where we pick these up. Elliot grabbed these ones this week. Uh, and you can visit us at andersonadvisors.com and learn more about the courses that we offer. We teach a lot, guys. We like to teach because we like our, uh, A, we like to give back, and B, because it makes really smart people, and really smart people then decide, hey, I like the people that taught me that, and maybe they reward us by give, doing their business. Come to the Tax and Asset Protection event. Learn all about land trusts, LLCs, LPs, Wyoming statutory trusts, uh, why we use Wyoming, how to how to create a dynasty, you know, doing a 
doing a living trust that lasts a really long period of time, all that fun stuff. It's absolutely free. We do it every other, uh, we do that one every other Saturday, but uh, Tax Tuesdays every other week. And then big, huge kudos to Ander, Matthew, Patty, especially to Ian, Dana, Jared, Pio, uh, Troy, and Dutch. You had a bunch of accountants, a bunch of CPAs answering questions for you. I just think that's, yeah, we do have some open questions. So I know if you have a question, there's about 22, 23 questions that are still open. Don't worry, hang tight. We will answer them. We don't get, we don't, we, we end the event, but you could stay on. We're not going to end the webinar until we get those questions knocked out. Good luck to you in 2023. Hopefully this is starting off. All right. Markets are starting to come back. People are realizing that, that there's this thing called supply and demand. And no matter what the fed does, they can try to taper it. We are good 5 million units underbuilt in this country. If you're a real estate investor, take heart in that, that no matter what they try to do to blow it up, it's almost an impossibility. I mean, like hey, never bet against the Fed screwing things up if they really, really want to, but they seem to slow down and uh, and people need housing. So if you're in real estate, don't back off. This is really something uh, and we'll, we'll make sure. And uh, Carmela is asking, hey, Patty, could you get Carmela's information so that we can make sure that we get her uh, squared away? I don't see her question in here, but I want to make sure she's getting and knows where to look for a response so we can take care of her. You're special to me, Carmela. We're going to make sure you get your answer. I don't care what we have to do. And we will we will get there. So that is it for me. Anything you want to add? No. All right, guys. What I'm going to do is I'm going to mute ourselves and we're going to go into hibernation. But uh, you can keep on and get your questions answered in the Q&A if you have, you have a question that, that that's hanging up. They'll continue to knock that out. And then, yes, we do record these. We put them on the YouTube channel. So if you go to my YouTube channel, just type in Toby Mathis in... YouTube, you'll see that it's really easy to to to, to uh, subscribe. There's no cost to it. There's never we never ask for money. We just try to ask for ideas and good questions that we can answer and provide more content. Everything else takes care of itself. So good luck to you guys next time. And thanks again for <laughs> and thanks for Elliot for stepping in for Jeff. He's been yep. doing a a great job. So uh, we'll get Jeff back one of these days. Uh, he, he's got uh, a lot of things on his plate, and so we're just gonna. Uh, bring him back, though it's always fun to hang out with another attorney and a tax guy. So <laughs> it's always kick, 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 good to be here. Kick tush. All right, guys, thank you very much. We'll see you at the next Tax Tuesday in two weeks. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 